katoa. Um, mihi nui ki a koutou. Um, he nā koe e tā, e hui noa ka te hunga tangata, e hui hui mai nei. Uh, ke nā koutou, ke nā koutou, ke nā koutou katoa. Uh, ko Cindy Marukere taku ingoa, mō Tarumaki Ahau. Um, engari nō uh, Tauranga Moana i nāia nei. Uh, my name is Cindy, I'm originally from uh, Taranaki, um, but I currently live in uh, Tauranga Moana, paradise, <laughs> warmer. Um, it's always wonderful to come back here and be amongst friends and in some ways um, children. You know, like for 15 years I've been a part on and off of this community and I've seen young ones grow up and um, the privilege of being able to speak into a community is, um, is a huge privilege and it's not lost on me because um, I get the, um, the, the opening that people are willing to trust a voice or a person or a heart to be able to come in and invest in them. And, uh, you know, the, the point of difference between uh, being a disciple and being a mentor is that, um, that a, a mentor, uh, a mentoree, chooses the person to mentor, where the, the, the person to be discipled doesn't get that choice. It's the discipler who chooses who gets discipled if that makes sense. So that's why Jesus said so emphatically, come follow me. Because in that time, um, the, the, the people who were looking for the teachers, for the rabbis, could choose which rabbi they chose to get the learning from. But Jesus switched that round the other way. He said, no, you come follow me. Um, that I am the discipler, you are the disciple. And I, I believe that we are at a moment of time when God is looking for people who are willing to lay down their lives to be discipled, that we might be trained up for such a time as this. Um, and God is giving you an opportunity within this community to be those sort of people. Um, and I feel like uh, God has allowed me to be able to come in and be a little bit of a provocateur um, I can be like the auntie that comes in and uh, gives a bit of a slap <laughs> and can leave. <laughs> like, okay, whack, see you later. <laughs> um, but we all need aunties. We all need those ones that know that, that they love us and that they can say the things that perhaps the, the mum and the dad can't say. So, I'm that person, all right? <laughs> Just letting you know. Uh, I've got a lot of stuff that I, I want to say, and um, I, so I want to be very careful what I give out to you tonight, because um, I, I don't take this lightly, um, this gift, this responsibility to uh, help shape people. Uh, it's a it's a beautiful thing, um, but I shared with the the leaders today that I believe that we are in a moment, and you have to recognise that everything has changed in our nation. That 
that moment when that gunman opened fire changed our nation forever. And we can't hide behind that, you know, this clean green down the ends of the earth, we're okay, we're safe, is gone. That um, innocence is over. Mm. And we've got to know, I'm, I'm warming up already. <laughs> yeah, um, oops. So I want to speak into that tonight because... Because as a community, you have a responsibility to how you um, live your life from this time on. Because what I, I wonder has happened in the past is that um, as a church community, we, as in a secular society, in a, um, in a post-Christian society, so many churches have become like fortresses and we've pulled ourselves back into a corner to think all we can do now is try and stop as many people as we can from backsliding and we'll just hold the fort until Jesus comes and we'll pat ourselves on the back and say, well done, good and faithful servant. <laughs> um, so we live this life of crisis rather than stand upon the foundations of who we are as a community and follower, as a community of Christ and as followers of Christ, that we've got to switch out from crisis to opportunity. And as I share with the leaders today, you are a special community. I believe that, well, you're special to me, but you're special to the Lord. And I, I want to um, uh, share some things that I feel is important for you to understand so that you hopefully will give you a bit more of a understanding oh this is who I am this is who we are this is how I'm to take my place one of the, the, the main um, messages that I've been trying to share with churches around Aotearoa is it's time for you to take your place but what is my place you say well I'm going to tell you tonight <laughs> Um, so I believe that we are in a moment of time, a God moment of time. And that's in case I get tired. Thank you. Even though I don't look old, I'm actually quite old. Uh, so I, I believe that, that um, we're coming around into another cycle where God is, is going to show himself in unprecedented ways. And you can call it whatever you want. You can call it revival or renewal or move of God. Um, some people are cynical and they don't like those terms anymore. God doesn't mind. He's still going to do it. <laughs> Whatever you think about, um, about those words or not, he's still going to come, I believe, and show himself um, and connect with the church that he loves to show society that he is a God who loves and he's not a God of hatred. He actually is a God of love. And for so long, it's, it's, it's felt like as we've retreated into our corner, we're not displaying this God of love, but we're actually showing him as a ham-fisted, angry, selfish people-hater. And we know that he's not bad. Um, thank you for sharing your story about being down in Christchurch. I, I was down there a couple of weeks ago, and... 
I, um, I wanted to go and pay my respects to the dead. So um, I was with, I was with, um, I was down in the church, I was with the pastors and they were friends of mine. And, and, it, and it was, you know, still quite a, of a somber atmosphere. Because you've got to remember, it was only eight years previously that the earthquake had happened. So for a lot of them, as soon as they heard the sirens and felt the tension in the air, they were immediately sucked back to 2011 to the earthquakes that took place. So it was a, it was a, a truly traumatic experience for many people down in Christchurch. Um, so we went there and we saw the flowers, which is, you know, deeply moving and, you know, just um, it was quite a, a, a painful, emotive sort of experience. So I, I, I got to the, um, we went to our North Mosque and uh, we were invited to go in. Uh, the, my friend Donald, he, he went in, but I couldn't. But being a, a prophetic type person, <laughs> Who can you know see stuff in the in the spirit? I could still see those people there, and it's just I I didn't have the strength to be able to enter into that environment. But I wanted to stand at the door, and I wanted to mihi to the dead. I wanted to acknowledge them, and I wanted to mihi to the fari. I wanted to acknowledge this house that had seen such devastation. So I just stood uh, at the door, and I did that. And then an old man came up to me, an old Muslim man, and with a big smile. So we're only talking three weeks after the mass shooting with a big smile and he looked at me and he said, come in. And you know immediately what I went through my head? If a Muslim man had gone into a church and shot 50 Christians and then three weeks later a Muslim man was standing outside the doors of the church, would we as Christians have opened the door and said, come in brother? I'm, I don't know. I don't know what our response would be, but I felt like God was wanting to display something to me of himself through someone that we say is our enemy. God is putting his finger on us at the moment because we are, the, um, the hope of glory is, is to be shone through us. If Christ is in us, this hope of glory how do we display him into um, society that is uh, post-Christian? The name of Jesus means nothing but a swear word. The world is, is totally lost. It's been searching for utopia and is realizing that there's nothing there. It's like the world is searching for a kingdom without a king. And... We have the opportunity to step into that huge vacuum where life means nothing. From one end of the spectrum, which is abortion, because life means nothing. And, you know, where they're push, pushing for, you know, late-term abortions because that's just a fetus, it means nothing. Right up to the point of euthanasia, because life means nothing. There is no point because there is no God, because there is no afterlife, because there is nothing. So what's the point if there's nothing? I know I'm setting this big sort of sad sort of foundation, but you know, there is hope at the end of it. Because I want to challenge us that this is the society that we live in and the point of difference is that you carry eternal hope and eternal life. 
The point of difference between the people that know Christ and those that don't is we have hope. We have hope. That's our point of difference. You carry hope. Whatever situation you walk into, you carry hope. In a society that's full of hopelessness and despair. And why is it full of hopelessness and despair? Because life has no meaning. But Jesus was very clear. He said, I come, I am the way, I am the truth, I am the life. And how do we showcase this life? God is giving us an opportunity with this, I believe, this, uh, this anointing, this presence, this spirit that is coming. We've got to position ourselves well so that when, when this presence comes, that we can fully um, imbibe ourselves of it so that we carry this life. Um, I just want to get you put up the first picture. So this, um, I was um, ministering at a church um, a few weeks ago, and uh, this was in the books, this was in the bookcase. So this is a Time magazine article from June, I think it's June the something, June 7th or something, 17th, 1971. And this was at a time when you're coming out of the Second World War, so there was lots of deprivation, there was lot, uh, you know, a lot of sacrifice, a lot of suffering, a lot of death. You know, the 20th century has seen more deaths than any other century combined. Millions and millions and millions of people through whatever utopia that we thought was, was going to uh, bring, you know, bring about this utopia, and none of it worked, except it cost millions and millions and millions of lives. So we come out of the World War, we come into the 50s, the conservatism, where there was, um, you know, war makes money. There's a lot of money to be had. There, there was a, um, this sense of uh, flourishing, and you could get the big car and the flash new fridge, and, you know, like, th things are going well, this in the 50s. And then, you know, very conservative, people were trying to, you know, do the right thing, live the right way. And then we come into the 60s, where this, this cultural shift began to happen. And um, it was this, from out of this very structured conservatism, we're coming into free love, sex, drugs and rock and roll. Uh, Vietnam War was happening. You know, all these young people were sort of um, up in arms. And it just, it felt like, you know, it was going to hell in a handbasket. And what happens? God turns up. You know, um, in 1969, who knows, the big, the, one of the biggest festivals in the world happened. Who, what was it? It's dark. 1969. Now, this the, the, the reason that Woodstock Festival happened was that there were two young guys who wanted to showcase their new recording studio. And they were in a place called Bethel. Not Bethel that we know Bethel. Um, there's another place called Bethel. It was in Bethel that they did it, but it ended up this thing got... Uh, got so big that they they moved it to another area and which of course became Woodstock, which became so big they had over a million people. They just they couldn't control it. It just took on a life of its own. Because and you know what they were trumpeting? You know what was the big thing about about Woodstock? It was all about love, love. All you need is love. It was all about love, flower power, loving one another free love, but it was a perverted form of love. 
because I believe that when the Lord was the presence of the Lord was beginning to come down, it was like how we responded to this love. And uh, people come alive to this presence of this love who is God, right? So we can take it anyway. Any way that we want, but when the because it's not you know in Amos it says um, when God speaks who can but prophesy, but sometimes we think when God speaks the Christians prophesy. No, but when God speaks, anybody that's got an ear to hear can hear God, and I think that that's what happened at Woodstock. This presence was coming down that was showcasing love, but people responded out of their own human nature. So it became this whole free love, you know, love meant sex, love meant going on a, you know, a, a psychedelic trip. But in the midst of that, the Spirit of the Lord was coming down and showing himself as true love. And that was the response. Can we just uh, click to another one? Another picture? Uh, so this is at the time, remember 1971? This, this is when it came out. So this is uh, hundreds of people gathering for mass baptism. So this was taking place when, when people were disillusioned that, you know, that it was all about free love, it was about sex, drugs and rock and roll, but people pushed into that nirvana, they pushed into that utopia, and what did they find? Nothing. Nothing. It didn't give them what they were believing for. So that set the scene and set the stage for this move of God to begin to take a hold of people's lives. So hundreds of thousands, hundreds and hundreds of thousands of people of people came to the Lord. Um, Jonathan was one of those ones back in the day. This presence came down. For no, we could say for no rhyme and reason, and yet there were intercessors that were praying. For many years, for decades, praying that God would move. And God moved in a way that they never expected. So that um, when these hippies started coming and arriving in their churches, people were up in arms about it. It wasn't what they were expecting. They were praying that God would move, and when God did move, it wasn't like they were expecting. So can you show me another one? Let's have a look at another picture. I mean, these are great pictures. Now, it's got me a, this is says, I mean, it looks like some of you guys today. <laughs> but um, this is the caption underneath. Catholic Pentecostalist speaks in tongues. <laughs> I mean, this, this, is a, this is a phenomenon that captured the whole world. It's like, what is this crazy thing happening? What is this cult thing that, that's, that's capturing all our young people? It was the spirit of the living God that came. Can you show me another one? Uh, and it says up the top, pro football players help form a prayer huddle in Cotton Bowl. So this wasn't a protest of getting down at their knee, a protest against Trump. This was actually a... Uh, 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 getting down on their knee and wanting to pray together because they have found Jesus Christ as Lord and Saviour. Can you show me another one? Uh, another one. Now, this is um, an example of what happened in the churches. So, conservative churches, and the, 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 um, they say that one of the key guys, his name was Chuck Smith, he was one of the key guys that um, helped lead this revolution, this Jesus revolution that took place. So he, he was the pastor of a church. And when all these guys started coming in, all of the, um, the church members were concerned about it. And you know what their main concern? You'll never believe it. 
their main issue that they had about all those young guys that were coming in there worshipping the Lord, their, their main critical, criticism and complaint against them was they are too enthusiastic for Jesus. <laughs> Serious, that was their main complaint. They're too enthusiastic for Jesus. So one of the, the, the congregation came up to Chuck Smith. They must have just had the new carpet laid in the congregation, in the church. And the one parishioner came up and said to him, but what about the carpet? <laughs> and he responded and he said, I'll rip the carpet up if I have to. So all these people, young people, kept coming, kept coming, kept coming. And in the end, the opposition grew so much from the, from the, um, the, the, the old community, not, I don't just mean old in age, but, but the established community, that he ended up leaving and taking most of the, the, those young people with him. So this is, I believe that we're at the cusp of this happening again. But it's going to happen in a completely different way. The way that this was completely different to what the other people were expecting. Does that make sense? So if they had known it was going to be like that, they wouldn't have resisted. If the Pharisees had known that, um, that God was going to show up, born of a virgin, going around preaching, coming against and railing against them, they never would have crucified him. But they did, because they didn't know. They searched the scriptures... Day and night, it says, they searched the scriptures looking for this Messiah and he was standing right in front of them. And I think that we're in a moment of time now and you guys are being prepared for this moment. How you prepare yourself, I'm going to help you with next, right? <laughs> because you've got to, in your own heart, make the decision, am I in or out? Am I in for the what I don't know? Am I in for, mm, I don't quite get this, I don't understand this. But we've got to be willing to take the risk anyway. When I, um, when I first started to, God started to speak to me about my music and uh, Māori tanga. So this is, in, this is in the early to mid 90s, I know. People weren't born at that time. Yeah, kia ora. <laughs> uh, you know, it was I was I was born again into a church that was very narrow in its thinking of uh, dominant culture. Anything that wasn't white was pretty much of the devil. You know, I had Maori spirits cast out of me. That was the sort of culture I came into. So fast forward, um, I'm leading worship. Uh, in, in the church, I'm on partial staff and I'm the worship director. And I got gifted uh, putatara. You know what that is, the conch shell? So I learned how to play it quite badly, but I learned how to play it. And I stand up this one morning leaving worship and I blow the putatara. And lo and behold, this is white, pretty much white middle class church. Okay, I'm just setting the scene here. <laughs> Blow the putatara, and lo and behold, a haka breaks out in the back row. <laughs> Which, it sounds, you know, okay, yeah, I can understand that happening. No, this was like 1992, <laughs> when we only just, like, people were still thinking drums are of the devil. 
No, and I'm serious. That, that, that was the urban myth that drums are off the devil, you can't have drums in church. So this haka breaks out, and afterwards someone comes up to me and says, I don't know if that was God. And you know, you know what I said? I don't know if it was God either. Because <laughs> I actually didn't know. Because I had, didn't know anybody else that was doing this. There was, there was no other, apart from one church that was beginning to, you know, I'm talking about in a, a charismatic Pentecostal environment that said that anything that wasn't white was of the devil. There was no one else that was doing this. But what happened inside of me, this thing was, was there must be more than this. There's something that's going on here. I don't understand what it is, but there's something going on. And then a few weeks after that, I got gifted a kawawo bone flute. Uh, it was much harder to learn to play. I kept hyperventilating, but I kept trying and trying. And I shared with them today that I ended up lying on the bed because I thought if I faint, I don't have far to go. So I'd, I'd lie there. And honestly, it took me hours because I'd just lie there. <laughs> so I managed to get a sound out again, quite badly. But I got this sound and this one Sunday, again, I during worship, I just displayed this uh, and again the strange phenomenon happened this intercession broke out like people just started weeping all through the church so I realised then it's like there's somehow there's some sort of connection between the sound and the response from the people I don't know whether it was me, God or the devil I know I can say it now oh yeah of course it was the Lord but like this is it the God? Is it the devil? Is it the people? Is it the drugs? Are they coming off a psychedelic, um, you know, like whatever they call it, up there? What's going on? Is it me, God, or the devil? We're coming into another time frame like that. Is it us? Is it, the, is it God or is it the devil? So you know what? The, my position that I took in that place when I genuinely didn't know to remember Anything that was indigenous was demonic. So you got to remember that's what I had been that, that had been going on in my teaching, in in my understanding, and the God that I serve, part of who I was was demonic, and had to be cast out. Yet there was this thing inside of me. I don't know if this is me or God or the devil, but I've got to keep going until I find out. And I believe that God is looking for people today who will keep going and not be afraid until we find out and actually trust that this perhaps is God and that we can trust that the leaders and the community that we're in as we're moving towards this, that we're moving towards it together, that we can trust for this season that we're in. Does that make sense? Is that making sense for you? Because we are poised at a, at, at a moment. But, you know, one of, that's why I, I believe that, that um, one of the most amazing things that I see happening among church whānau congregations at the moment is this understanding of te ao Māori. Because there's this, this, there's this understanding that is far more related to the Hebraic way of thinking than to the Greek philosophy way of thinking that we got caught up in. And there, there, there's this, this 
this understanding that's beginning to infiltrate the hearts of the leaders of the churches in Aotearoa. And you know what is happening? It's causing us to be poised for this thing that's coming. And I, many of you know about the revival that took place in the 1830s, 1840s in New Zealand. Yeah, we're, we're all familiar with that, correct? I, I, yeah, yeah, I don't have to repeat it, no. 64,000 Māori out of a, 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 a between 90 and 120,000 Māori came to faith. We know that. No? Yeah. If you don't know, you should know. This is my auntie coming out now. <laughs> because this is your papa. It's like um, me telling you about your grandfather, your great-grandfather, your great-great-grandmother. You should know about these things because it centres you in your identity. I am because I come from a long line of. So I know who I am. You're in a society that has no identity because no one knows who they are. And we, we as followers of Christ have to know where we come from so that we know where we're going. Correct? You need to know, as even part of the, the, the Anglican community, that the, the CMS was the main um, group, the party that, that ushered in this, this move of God that affected Māori so significantly. That's your papa, you people. You should know about this. I would recommend that you get a hold of a book called Huia Come Home. Whoever's got it here should bring it down to the library. We have about 30 in the background. So. Great. <laughs> you guys that don't know the story need to know the story. If you're a bit more perhaps academically uh, inclined, read the Bible and Treaty. It gives you a, a much more in-depth story, uh, uh, understanding of the story. But God moves significantly in a moment that saw... Um, uh, Māori coming in their tens of thousands to new faith in Christ Jesus. I read this book and it so deeply impacted me. It was by um, one of the brothers, so Henry Williams and William Williams. Uh, William Williams wrote this book. Who would call their son William Williams? <laughs> Come on. Like, Reeves, Reeves, Reeves? You know, I mean, that, that's what it would be like. <laughs> So, Reverend Reeves? Reverend Reeves Reeves? <laughs> so anyway, he wrote a book called Christianity Amongst the New Zealanders. So this was written in 1840-something. Christianity Amongst the New Zealanders. So I read this book and I was so deeply impacted because it was quite a boring read because it was just like a journal. He was just writing stuff that was happening in this, this period of time. But what was so enthralling to me is that I knew he hadn't embellished it at all because it was just this journal. And, you know, like, for example, and on this day, the Sunday, the 7th of April, 18-whatever, uh, 8,000 Maori turned up for a church service in the village of wherever. 8,000. 8,000 turned up. And... And this would be repeated again and again and again in this journal. Like the significant move of God that took place. And then, as my friend uh, coined the term, the mission was interrupted because of 
greed, the greed for land, the greed for power, the greed for money, and you know the, the, the treaty that was set by God to display what true reconciliation could look like was lost for a time. And I believe that we're at a moment now when God wants to re-engage that mission. And this is the, the part of the reason for this presence of God beginning to build in our nation again. So, um, just going back to my notes for the first time. <laughs> uh, so this is God, a question. This is a question from God. I want you to listen to God <coughs> speaking a question. Right, you ready? What if I'm about to renew the church in the West? What if I have to let it get so bad that culturally relevant preaching doesn't work, incredible culturally relevant worship doesn't work, aesthetic and design of church buildings doesn't work, leaders who project persona of call doesn't work, new and innovative discipleship structures doesn't work. All that's going to work is the very presence of God. So you're a part of a community that is that is pursuing and seeking for what that presence looks like. Get on board. Get on board with this. Learn, um, as I shared with the leaders today, I believe that this, this new move is going to display where we saw the fire. Can you just show the next photo, which I, I sort of love, really, because we, sort of, we sort of think, you know, that, you know, there she is with the Jesus is my Lord, you know, proudly, like, here, yeah, one love. That was the big signal for the day. It's like, you know, one love, one way, one way, Jesus. You remember that, eh, hey, Jonathan? One way, Jesus, yeah. Um, I, we'll just go back to the cover. I just, we'll, we'll just leave that, the cover up there. Um, the, the cover of the Time magazine. Thanks. Um, I mean, I love that. To me, that's just that's so, like, that psychedelic 70s. It's like, he here, boy. <laughs> well... I want to tell you that he's coming again in a new and a fresh way. And how do we position ourselves for it? Um, we romanticise the past. But did you know that in the 18th century they said that, that the God was dead and the church was over and the church will be closing its doors? You know, they actually said that in the 18th century that it was a postmodern society. Did you know that? That enlightenment had come in and God was dead. There is no God. It's all, you know, we, we made ourselves, we come out of sludge and um, we, we, were, um, we formed ourselves and we're becoming through evolution. Uh, there is no God. But then what happened is God turns up. So, you know, Voltaire and the Enlightenment saying there is no God. But then God turns up in the Enlightenment and the church is pushed forward. It was pushed forward through the likes of Whitfield and the Wesleys and Jonathan Edwards. The church was pushed forward and God is wanting to push forward the church again. But you know what happened in that time frame? You know, there was industrialization which created globalization. So God used the very thing that was trying to drive the thinking that God is dead 
God used that very thing to push the gospel to the ends of the earth. It was through that globalisation that the gospel came to Aotearoa that reached my people at the ends of the earth. And his spirit is moving again. And we have to be people who are free of cynicism, free of doubt, that say, I'm not sure about this. It could be me, God, or the devil, but I've got to keep going. That was one of the things that I, that I, I shared this morning with the church at Lyle Bay. There's got to be a cry within us of there must be more than this. There must be more than where we are at the moment. There must be more than, okay, this is fine. I'm happy where I am, just doing my thing. There's got to be more than that. There's got to be more than us being satisfied with the status quo. Because it's not good anymore. Everything's changed. Everything has changed in, in our nation. And even like that, and, and this is what I've just found so ironic, is that you know the, 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 the bombings that took place in Sri Lanka, who were our brothers and sisters, but what it's doing is causing the media to suddenly start talking about Christians in a way that they, they don't talk about us normally. Because they don't talk about us very nicely. Because they don't like us very much. And in some ways I can understand why. We haven't been a good example. But suddenly the shift is beginning to happen. How do we position ourselves for this point of time for the shift? There's a holy discontent that's taking place. It's God. God is doing it. There's a, there's a discontent that's in the state of culture. There's a holy discontent in the state of the church. Isn't there? There's a holy discontent with the state of our own faith in relation to what God wants to do now in history. It's God. God is pushing this holy discontent. So we've got to stand in that place and embrace this. I'm not sure about this, God, but I want to step in there. I want to step into that place by faith. I want to step into the unknown. That's the sort of people he's looking for because that's the sort of people he looked for and he found in a time when there was a deep accusation that came from the old order about this new move that's happening. So now that new move is the old move. So what are we going to do? What are you going to do about it? You've been in a place of, of, of teaching and training. God is wanting to showcase something through who you are as a community. You might not be big, but the size doesn't matter. God changed the whole world with 12 people. You know, that they, they were just hoping that Jesus would hang around a little bit more, but, you know, he was just like, see you guys later, best of luck. <laughs> I'm off. <laughs> I've done my bit. <laughs> they changed the world because they had Holy Spirit. So it's not size. He's never been, uh, it's never been an issue for God. The, the issue is the people whose hearts are after him, the people whose hearts are burned for him, the people whose hearts are passionate for him. Those are the people that he's looking for. I, I want to finish with this. I, I want to uh, share a vision um, that I had in November last year. And then I want to 
offer uh, a participation in what I believe is happening all across our nation. In, um, in November, I was just sitting in a chair in, at home and I looked up and I saw a cloud and I knew that cloud was hovering over Aotearoa and which is, you know, Aotearoa land with long, long white clouds, like, yeah, awesome. But I knew that this cloud was the cloud of reconciliation. And I, I reached up with my hand and I pulled down a piece of the cloud. And as it came down, it was a living thing. As it came down, I felt it wrap itself around my shoulders. And I feel it now. It moves with, when I move. It's there. It's just like, it's like this cloud like feathers. It, it just moves. It's there. And I knew that I had been given the gift, the anointing, the spirit of reconciliation. <coughs> well, immediately I stepped into areas of conflict with three very, very close friends of mine. And I was so perplexed by it because it just came out of nowhere. This, these accusations that suddenly sprung up and honestly, before the Lord, hand on heart, I didn't do anything to provoke it. Suddenly this thing happened this, out of three different groups of people. <coughs> and I felt like God said to me, well, when you get the gift of healing, what do you do? You lay hands and you pray for healing. What happens when you get the gift of prophecy? Well, you speak out and you give a prophetic word. What happens when you get the gift of reconciliation? How does it get activated? In the place of conflict. And I thought, man, if I had really thought that through, would I reach my hand up in my hand? <laughs> it was, um, it's in the place of conflict that reconciliation is activated. So I just knew that the, 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 um, the way that I was to, to, um, to step into it was through <coughs> humility. So in each of these situations, I contacted them and I said, look, have I done something to offend you? Have I done something? If I have, I want to ask for your forgiveness. The pathway into that reconciliation, into the mana of that gift, was through the spirit of humility. Now, I'm not telling you this, that I'm anything special. I'm, I'm relaying the story so that you know that you can have a part of this as well, but there is a cost to it, is what I'm, I'm trying to set the stage for. And what, this one situation, I, um, uh, I ended up, I got invited to go to their church, and I wasn't sure what the reception would be like, how I would re be received by the leadership and by the congregation. And I was scared. Um, but there was like confidence that had grown in me because I knew that, that that cloud was now hovering around my shoulders. So by faith, because and I want to say to you, if you are going to pursue and step into anything beyond living a mediocre life for Christ, it's going to take faith for you to step beyond that. You're hearing me? And so I had to be courageous and step into that situation, even though I, I wasn't sure what sort of reception was going to be had for me. And when I got off the plane and I walked through into the airport and I looked at, at, at this person, it was like the years had dropped off 
from, um, you know, it was like it had been years and years ago. Close, tight. It was incredible. It was incredible for, for me to walk in and, you know, to hug and it's like, oh my gosh. And even the church reception when I got there was, um, they um, were so receptive and I decided to speak about the elephant in the room, which was this whole thing of reconciliation. Because by now I was emboldened, you know, because I thought, man, I've got this gift. <laughs> but I stepped into it by faith and I was able to speak into it. And it happened in uh, another two situations. So I've been travelling around the country sharing about this cloud of reconciliation that's hovering over our nation. And you know what? What I saw the display that happened after the mass shootings, I believe, was a direct response to that cloud. But who was responding to it? It wasn't Christians. If any of you uh, were... um, uh, uh, active on social media and the vitriol that was taking place between Christians was shameful. That, you know, people that were on this side of, you know, she's wearing a, a hijab and, you know, just like, um, that's terrible and it's like we got to, like, you know, shut it down. To this side, it's like, you know, I'm going to, you know, pray to Allah from now on. And, you know, so you got, the, I'm talking about the extremes, the, the extremes, and it was being played out on social media for everybody to see. So we're doing so much of the infighting while at the same time this cloud of reconciliation is pouring out over people and they're they're trying to show how much they want to uh, display I want to be reconciled, which was the catchphrase of what? They are us. You are us. Yeah, that was the cloud of reconciliation being activated by people outside of the church, not in the church. We've got to be brave enough to take our place in this. Because we are the ones that are supposed to display the hope of glory to the world. Because Christ is in us. Is that not right? Are we not the hope of the world, according to Scripture? So that's the challenge I want to to offer up to you tonight. Are you willing? Will you be one that wants to reach up and grab a hold of that cloud? Because I think it's part of this new move that happened. So this was 50 years ago. And I believe that God is about to move in a whole new and fresh way. And it's not going to look anything like it looked before. It's going to look completely unlike anything that we can even think of. You know, um, one of the things that, the story about the the wineskin, you know, are you familiar with that story in Luke 2? It says that Jesus turned, you know, the water into wine. And, uh, you know, all 662 litres of it. I mean, there must be a party. <laughs> because he, the, and the reason that that was his very first miracle was because he was, he was actually wanting to make a statement about himself. I am the new wine. I'm coming. The new order is coming. The old has been done away with. And this thing about the, the new wineskin to take the new wine. And as I've been going around speaking about this, you know, I might think that I'm the new wineskin and I'm ready for the new wine that's coming, but I've been going before the Lord saying, God, I think I'm the new wineskin, but I'm actually the old. Because the, the problem with the old wineskin, you put new wine in it and the new wine expands and it, it tears apart the old wineskin, right? So that was the, uh, the picture that Jesus was trying to display. 
uh, and I'm, the, I'm praying to him, I'm saying, God, I think I'm the new one, the new one's coming, but I'm actually still the old God. Please help me. Please help me to transition in a way that I don't know how to do it. Please help me to see what I can't see at the moment. Please help me to not be the hindrance that I, I am and I don't think I am. That's the pathway of humility. And I want to ask you tonight, are you willing to be part of this new community that God is forming? That 50 years later, that another Jesus revolution is taking place. And one of the ways, the pathways into it is going to be the spirit of reconciliation through the heart of humility. And if you're willing, I know the cloud is here. The cloud is hovering over our land at the moment. Who would be willing to reach up their hand and say, yes, God, I will take that. I will take that upon myself. I don't know what that means because we get afraid. You know, when I spoke at one church, this, this person yelled out, and they said, well, what about if you're already in conflict? And I said, well, this cloud is for the moment that you're in right now. But I believe that this is part of this spirit of the living God beginning to move through our nation. Because if you're like me, you're sick of the status quo. This is not the best. This is not who we are to display Jesus to the world. It's not us. We've got the, the Muslim community that are displaying more of the spirit of Christ than we are. That's an indictment against us. Where they want to come to a place of reconciliation and we hold back. Well, what does this mean? How are we going to show ourselves as this conduit of, his, of, of heaven coming down? So let's stand up. And, and I, I want to put that challenge out to you tonight. I mean, I leave tomorrow. But right here tonight... The challenge goes out to you. Do you want to be a part of this stirring that God is doing through our nation? That the blueprint community will be ones that will be at the forefront of this. I want to step into that place of reconciliation. You ones that are, you know, pushing into Te Ao Māori, your hands should be up first. Because in that place of conflict, which you will find, there will be a resource for you. There will be an anointing and a strength and a gift for you to be able to walk through that place of division and hatred and misunderstanding and ignorance and racism to break the way through for reconciliation, which is at the very heart of God. And you're called to be a part of it. If you're called to be a part of this community, you're called to be a part of this. I can feel, I can feel the fierceness of, of myself right now. 
But I know that this is a word of the Lord for you as a community. That you can't say, well, I didn't know. That you are responsible for this and you have to step up. Because God is looking for people like you. He's looking for a millennial generation that will de-secularize themselves and say, God, I will step up for this, even to my own hurt, that I will be um, a conduit of peace and reconciliation in my day, that I will step into the conflict, but I will have all of heaven standing with me and that cloud that sits around me. So even before the music starts, we're going to pray. And if, if this has um, stirred you, if this has resonated in your heart, if you know that you are to respond to this, I'd say come up the front, but there is no front. <laughs> we normally go to the cross. Oh, I love that. <laughs> yes. I just I don't want this to be a cheap thing. And it's something that you do in the heat of the moment. That you do because your emotions are, 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 are right up there. I shared a similar call, didn't I, Scotty, 15 years ago, with a call about laying down our lives that the Lamb may receive the reward for our suffering. And I feel that same sense of passion upon me tonight to call up a people and a generation. Will you lay your life down for something such as this? If you will, God will surely move through you and you will be a part of this, this revival, renewal, move of God, whatever you want to call it, moving through our land as it has already begun. All he's asking is a response from you. He's not asking for your hard work. It's like a waka. All you have to do is hop in the waka, push out and get into the current. He'll do the rest. He'll do the rest. This is what I've seen in my own life in regards to this desiring to walk in reconciliation. And what I've discovered is that humility is getting easier walking into these places. And I've had um, uh, one of the times... I've been rebuffed and they they shut me down and they would not choose to reconcile with me. I'm I'm talking about outside of the three. Another situation that was very close to my heart and they said, no, I don't want anything to do with you, which broke me because this person was close to me and I had trained and discipled and she was like one of my children. So for this to happen was very painful. I'm being vulnerable with you here but I still choose to do it anyway because I know that this is the way to bring the kingdom of heaven onto earth in Aotearoa at this present time. That this is part of this move, I believe. And there's a uniqueness of who you are as a community that God is wanting to build, um, establishing something of the discipleship within you as a community so that that presence can come and reside on something where it won't just be frittered away. And I believe that his presence is here tonight. The cloud hovers over us tonight. Do you want a piece of that?
do you want to step into that? And there is a responsibility. But again, it's only asking you to hop in the waka. It's not asking you to row it. And I guess I don't even know how to do this, but if you feel this in an impassioned way, if you feel that this is more than just a, an emotional response, I want you to respond somehow. I don't know. Maybe it is going for the cross. I don't know. I, I don't know. I can feel the moment. But you have to respond. If, if you know that this is God, because then you're responsible for it. You can't walk out and go, oh, that was a great meeting. She's a bit rough, though. <laughs> That you take the cloud with you. And there is a, 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 a high chance that you will step into some form of conflict, which we all hate. I hate conflict. But you don't step into it alone. You now step into it with the mana and the kaha that comes from heaven. And it's not yours. To be, it's not your burden to carry. God will go, go with you into that. It's like... When God spoke to Moses, he said, I will be with you. So I guess like the response is, you can do whatever you feel to do. Because this is between you and the Lord. But the presence and the, the anointing of the sovereign Lord is upon us tonight. And the gift that he wants to give to us is here. Would you receive it? Amen. That's great. So, well, we don't even have the full measure of understanding what this means, but our spirits witness to it. If your spirit witnesses to it, respond to him tonight. If your spirit witnesses, if it doesn't, don't respond. But if your spirit witnesses to this tonight, by faith, and you don't have to do it in a natural way, maybe you do need to, like I did. In a natural way, you reach up your hand, you say, God, I pull down a piece of that cloud mm. that I may be a part of what you are unfolding in our nation now. That I would uh, partake of this tonight. And Lord, with the meager faith that we have, we would reach up to take this, this reconciliation, that it might rest upon us, that we would truly become the conduits of heaven everywhere we go. In Jesus' name.